Well, I want to welcome you here officially to our Good Friday service. Um, if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab it, and you can turn to Matthew chapter 18. Um, we're going to be studying a, a parable that Jesus told. Um, like I said before, um, Good Friday is a day where um, we kind of spend some time sitting in the reality of the crucifixion of Jesus. I mean, if if we're honest, we, we talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus a lot, or we should, because that's kind of our faith. That's it. It rises and falls on if this actually happened, if this is true. But on Good Friday, it's like this special day where we, we don't rush through it, where we meditate on it, where we remember what happened, and specifically ask and, and try and answer, why does that matter? So our theme for this year, for Good Friday and for Easter Sunday, um, every, every year we try and come up with uh, a, a theme or an idea. I mean, obviously we're going to talk about the death of Jesus, but we, we kind of ask, you know, what exactly should we focus on? So the, the, the theme for our Easter weekend this year is one. And the tagline is essentially we have one Savior, one sacrifice, once for all, there is one Lord, one faith, and one church. And so you might be asking, well, why? Why the theme one? And so like I said, you know, as a, as a, a, a pastor, I'm usually always asking, okay, what do our people need to hear? Like, God, what, what do you want to teach us? What does your body, your people, what do we need to focus on? What, what do we need to learn? What areas in the church need to kind of be shored up or corrected or, or, or taught on. And so what I'm seeing, uh, not just in our church, but actually in the church in Canada, is a ton of division and disunity related to what we've lived through for the last two years. There have been uh, hurts and pains and disagreements and fracturing and relationships broken. Now, you have to understand, it's not like that's anything new. It's not like, oh, before that, we never disagreed about anything. Wouldn't that be amazing? But that's not true. I mean, I've been at this church for almost eight years, and there hasn't been a year where there hasn't been disagreements or disunity or division, or because that just happens, right? When you take a bunch of sinful human people and put them together, it's, it's bound to happen. And yet, if, if you could imagine like a dial, a uh, uh, disunity dial, it feels like someone just kind of cranked it up a little bit in the last couple of years. It feels intensified. So tonight, I want us to focus on, center ourselves on the gospel of Jesus, the crucifixion of the Son of God for the forgiveness of sins. And then I want to ask, well, how does that actually apply then to how we interact with one another? How does that apply to how we forgive one another, our relationships to, to each other as fellow believers? And, and really, what does it mean for us to be one in Christ? So we want to look at a parable that Jesus told in Matthew 18. So this is a parable, obviously, that Jesus gave before he was crucified. But I think it's just, it's one of my favorite passages of the Bible, and I think it clearly illustrates the wonder and awe of our forgiveness through Jesus, what we're celebrating tonight, and then in turn, how do we treat each other? 
So if you remember Matthew 18, um, Peter is asking Jesus, you know, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And, and what does Jesus say? He says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven times. And then Jesus kind of leads right into this parable to kind of illustrate this, this topic of forgiveness. So if your Bibles are open, Matthew 18, starting in verse 23. Therefore, this is Jesus speaking, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So pause there for a moment. So Jesus is using a parable a story to relay some kind of truth about the kingdom of heaven, about his kingdom, about how things operate in the kingdom of, of Jesus. And so he starts by telling this story of a uh, king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. So you have to imagine this, right? This king of a kingdom, and he's calling his servants in one by one, and they're just kind of settling up. Okay, you owe me this much. Okay, you owe me that much. You owe me that much. And he's bringing his servants in. And we're told that one servant comes in who owes him 10,000 talents. Now, we need to do, understand a little bit of uh, history, because I think most of us, when we hear 10,000 talents, we just assume $10,000. That's just how our, our brains work. We're like, okay, it sounds like he owes him, you know, 10 grand. But that's not so, and, and it, it goes so much deeper than that. Now, a talent in Old Testament times was a unit of weight. It was 75 pounds. So if someone said, you know, I have a talent of gold, it meant they had 75 pounds of gold, but in Jesus' day, in, in New Testament times, a talent, it changed. It became a unit of monetary reckoning. So what I mean by that is one talent in Jesus' day was a way to describe 20 years' wages for a laborer, right? So that, that was just the unit of uh, monetary reckoning. How much is a talent? It's what a common laborer makes in 20 years. That's one talent. So think about that. How much does the servant owe? 10,000 talents. It's, it's meant to be a massive number. Josephus, who's an ancient Jewish historian, he recorded that the total annual income for all of Galilee and Perea in the year 4 BC was only 200 talents. So think about that. Uh, the total income for a, a, a whole region of the Middle East was only 200 talents. And in our parable, this servant owes 10,000 talents. So if you were to do the math, right, to put it kind of in our day and age, one talent is 20 years wages. And I just looked up online, uh, how much does a laborer earn in BC? What's the average uh, uh, wage of a laborer? It's about 20 bucks an hour in, in British Columbia. So if you earned $20 an hour and you roughly worked 2,000 hours a year, that's roughly 40 hours a week, 
then your annual income income would be $40,000. So think about it. A, A talent is 20 years wages. So one talent in our day and age would be about $800,000. So how much did the servant owe? 10,000 talents. In our economy, this poor servant owes $8 billion. Now, it's meant to be like an unfathomable amount because we could go, well, like Elon Musk could pay that. And that's not the point of, that's not the point of the parable, right? The parable, ancient ears would have heard, what? 10,000 talents. I can't even fathom that kind of money, right? $8 billion? That's how much you owe this king? Well, I mean, one, how did you, how did you rack that debt up? That's impressive, it's meant to be astronomical, right? We're meant to look at that and go, man, this guy's hooped. And so the servant can't pay, obviously. He can't pay back that kind of money. And the king orders him sold and his wife and his children and everything he owns to recoup some of the loss. And the servant falls on his knees begging the king, have patience with me. I'll pay you back. No, he won't. He can't. It's foolishness to say, like, just give me a little bit more time. I'll come up with $8 billion for you. And look at verse 27. Out of pity, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. The master didn't say, okay, fine. Uh, You can have a a year to kind of rustle up some money. The master has pity on the servant and says, the debt's been paid. You're free to go. So, I mean, this is an amazing story so far. But with all of Jesus' teaching, there's something actually much deeper going on. And what Jesus is describing is exactly what we're celebrating on Good Friday. Like, the king in this parable is God. And you know who you are? You're the servant. Humanity is the servant. And it's this picture of you and I being brought before God to to reckon and settle our debt. And the whole point is, you and I as as human beings, we are in a massive debt of sin. Massive. Like, since the beginning, since the first human beings rebelled against God, all of humanity is born with a massive debt of sin. Look at how Romans 3 describes the human condition. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's us. Romans 6.23, Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. And that's the payment that we deserve for our massive debt of sin. So this is us in the parable. Like you owe $8 billion. And you are unable to pay it back yourself. Although we try, right? We're just like the servant. Just give me some more time. I can pay it back. Right, we do this with God. Just, God, give me a little bit more time. Right, I can go to church. 
I can give money to charity. I can try and be a good person. I can be a, a good father. I can do this and do that. Just give me a little bit more time to try and chip away at the debt that I owe. But really, what that's like is like throwing pennies at an $8 billion debt. It can't work. So we are completely at the mercy of the king. But our king, God himself, out of pity and compassion for us, forgives us our debt. And this is fully and totally the unmerited grace and compassion and forgiveness of our God, more than we could ever imagine. Now, here's the missing element in this parable. Because remember, Jesus told this parable before he's gone to the cross. And so here's the missing element. God would not be just in just kind of throwing his hands up in the air and saying, you know what, don't worry about it. Like your debt of sin had to be paid. The wages of sin is death. Someone had to die to pay for your debt of sin. It doesn't just go away. It had to be paid. So let me give you an example. So if we, in our day and age, if there was this big uh, court case. So you remember like back in the day, some of you might be old, when like O.J. Simpson. And it was like televised, the huge court case, right? Everybody watched that back in the day. Now imagine if that happened and there was a court case and there was a man who just picked, like, choose in your mind whatever kind of heinous crime, like he murdered someone or, or whatever. And let's say that this, this trial has gone to court, it's televised, we're all watching it, and there is so much evidence that everyone knows, yeah, that guy did it. It's not even a question. No one's going, ah, oh, if only we had like a, a surprise witness. It's like, no, we've got witnesses, we've got evidence, we've got DNA at the crime site. Like, this is locked up. This guy did it. And so imagine if on the day that the verdict is read, the judge just kind of goes, yeah, look at all the evidence, look at this and that. But you know what? I'm kind of in a good mood today. So I'll just let him go. Like, would that be a good judge? No, we would go, that judge is awful. There has to be justice, right? Like, someone has to pay for the crime that was committed. And so God is, is the same. He wouldn't be a good God if he just said, you know what? Don't worry about it. And yet, Jesus came and as we've been studying in the book of John, he taught, he showed compassion to people, he loved people, he, he challenged self-righteous people, he, he called people to himself, and then ultimately he went to the cross. And Jesus was betrayed, he was abandoned, he was put on trial, and it was a sham of a trial. And he was beaten, he was spit on, he was mocked and verbally abused, he was whipped. They dragged him outside of the city and they nailed him to a tree. And he hung on a cross. And more than just the physical pain of all of that, which would have been unbearable, but the, on the cross, the anger and the wrath and the justice of God against your rebellion was poured out onto Jesus. And Jesus drank the full cup of God's wrath for you. Justice was paid. And so you might ask, well, how can, how can one man, Jesus, how can him dying on a cross for a few hours pay for so much sin and rebellion and, and wickedness and evil? And the answer is because that one man, the God-man, Jesus, is worth more than everything in the universe. 
I mean, you take all of the good that you see and you take all the beauty in our universe and you take all of the love that you have for your wife and your kids and your family. You take everything good that exists and you put it on one side of the scale. Jesus Christ outweighs all of it. And so because of the compassion and pity of our God, when we trust in Jesus, when we by faith believe in his death and resurrection, our debt is paid for. The king can look at us and go, you're released. You're free. An $8 billion debt paid. So for some of us in this room, maybe, maybe that's kind of the first time we're, we're hearing this. And so maybe tonight, you know, we're going to talk about responses at the end. But maybe tonight it's this response of, I realize this debt that I have. And Jesus paid that debt for me. And maybe tonight is the night that it's a trust and a faith in him. Now, most of us in this room, I assume, we, we understand that part of the story. Most of us have heard the gospel before. Most of us, we know, yeah, I know what Good Friday is about, the death of Jesus. I get it. But the parable doesn't end there. And I kind of wish it did. But there's an act, too, in the parable. And the second act actually sheds light on the first act. So verse 28. But when that same servant went out. He found one of his fellow servants. Who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him he began to choke him. Saying pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me and I'll pay you. He refused. And went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I really wish there wasn't an act too. <laughs> and yet we see this servant. Who had just been forgiven eight billion dollars worth of debt. Go out and he finds a fellow servant who owes him a hundred denarii. Now I know that the, the thinking must be okay. A hundred denarii must be even more astronomical. Than 10,000 talents. Like, I said, why else would you act like that? Like, if 10,000 talents is $8 billion, then 100 denarii must be like $50 billion. Because why else would you act like that? Choking someone out, pay me everything you owe me. 100 denarii was equivalent to 20 weeks worth of labor, $16,000. So someone was just forgiven eight billion dollars worth of debt surely he can forgive someone who owes him 16 grand and yet he seizes him and he chokes him out and the fellow servant pleads much like he had pleaded please give me more time i'll pay you back be patient with me and yet no mercy is shown he's thrown in prison until he can pay it all back 
And some of the other servants see what happened, right? And they report back to the king. They're like, you're not going to believe what this guy did. And so the king brings the servant back in. and He's reprimanded for his behavior. He says, I forgave you all that debt. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? And he delivers him to the jailers. And it's meant to be a picture of hell. Like jailers literally translates torturers. This guy's given over until he can pay it back, which is never. He'll never be able to pay it back. And Jesus ends this parable with an unbelievably sober statement. He says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What is so shocking about act two of this parable is that this forgiven servant has failed to exercise, exercise even just a tiny fraction of the generosity with which he was treated. He had just been forgiven $8 billion, can't forgive 16000 so his forgiveness did actually, didn't affect his outlook on life or his interaction with his fellow servants at all. So what this passage is meant to do is it's actually meant to shine a light on each one of us and our understanding of the gospel and the implications that means for how we interact with, with other believers. And it's meant to be very sobering. So here's, here's where I think this applies to us. We can hear the offer of the mercy and grace of this wicked servant. We, 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 we read about $8 billion paid off, and that's us, right? And we, we love the idea of God forgiving us all of our sins. I will gladly accept that. But you and I are just like the servant in this passage, where even when we've been forgiven... This unbelievable debt of sin, we walk around with unforgiveness and bitterness, and we're not willing to show people mercy. Like, I know this is true because I've seen it in my own life, and I've seen it lots in your lives as well. People do things that upset us, or they do things that put them in our debt, and we go, I just cannot forgive you. Right? I've had people sit in my office who are followers of Jesus and we talk through problems and I've heard this said, I cannot forgive them. I even think of the last two years, right? It's, we, we've been offended and we've offended others. You know, I'm offended that you don't wear a mask. I'm offended that you did. Well, now we're both mad at each other. We're both offended. I'm offended that you went and got vaccinated. I'm offended that you didn't. I'm offended you wouldn't have me over to your house. I'm offended that you did. I mean, on and on and on. And I mean, COVID stuff aside, I think that's just freshest in our minds. We do this all the time. That person said, what about me? That person did this to me. I cannot forgive them. Christians, forgiven billions by God, can't forgive thousands. So let me give you a couple examples. I actually had a conversation with a guy this week, and it fits so well that I just asked him, can I share this story? And I won't use your name. And he said, yeah, but uh, the last seven years before his dad passed away, um, his dad was kind of in and out of the hospital uh, a lot. Like he would go in for a stint and then be healthy enough to come home and then go in and all the way leading up to his death. And it was during one of these times that this, this gentleman's dad was in the hospital. And a bit of a backstory: this, this dad had this ongoing kind of feud and, and bitterness and anger towards his brother. Like just for years. One of those family things that it's just kind of like, man, we just, 
kind of we just can't see head eye to eye and you did this so many years ago and yet I'm just kind of holding on to it. And this time that this, this dad was in the hospital and the son was there and they were chatting and it just kind of brought up the, the brother and the conflict and they were talking about it and, and it was kind of getting a little bit heated and then suddenly all these nurses ran into the room going, what is going on in here? Because all of this man's things that he was hooked up to were sending alerts to the nurse that he was dying because his blood pressure was going through the roof and they ran in and they were going, what is happening in here? Are you okay? And it was then when the son said to the dad, dad, I think we need to talk about forgiving your brother. Like it's literally killing you. Like you're here and the nurses think you're dying with how you're responding to talking about your brother. I'll give you an example from my own life. Um, before we came here uh, about eight years ago, we, I, I worked at a church in the lower mainland. I was the youth pastor. And uh, after about eight years there, we just kind of sensed, yeah, I think our time here is done. Uh, I was getting older and I'm like, I don't like hanging out with teenagers anymore. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I was like, I think, I think God's calling us to like preach and teach and, and maybe just try and lead a church. And so I went and talked to my boss at the church and it was a really good conversation the first time. It was, yeah, that's awesome. We see this gifting in you and take as much time as you need, whatever you need from us. Like take, take a year to find another job. If you need it, no worries. Take your time. If you need references, if you need blah, 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 time off to go Canada, like just do what you got to do. We love you. We want to support you. And very quickly it changed from that to we got to get Andrew out of here. We're going to kind of push them out, okay? It went from take as much time as you need to you got like three months, and then you're gone. And then it, it became, you know, things that my boss would say to me about we love you, we support you, the blah, blah, blah. Then he, I would hear through the grapevine that, that other things were being said, the opposite things. Andrew's lazy, can't wait to get rid of him. This is a good thing. He's not doing a good job. And man, it was hurtful. It was hard to stand on a stage as the church is saying goodbye to you and everyone's clapping and my boss is saying, we're going to miss you so much. And in my heart, I'm going, no, you're not, you liar. And I'll tell you, man, for years, like when we would go down and visit again and we would drive through that city, something would happen in me, just angry and bitter at what happened there. And I, I, can't, I can't forgive that guy. I can't believe that they treated me like that. And I had to get to a place where I just went, you know what? Regardless of what happened, I'm a follower of Jesus. My boss is a follow, My former boss is a follower of Jesus. We are brothers in Christ. I have to forgive him. Now, what I'm not saying is that you and I, we just let people walk all over us. That's not what I'm saying. Right? There, there, it's not like there's no accountability and we just hurt each other and I forgive you and I forgive you and I forget. That's not what I'm saying. Obviously, there's accountability and when things are done, there's, there's natural consequences for when we hurt each other and, and, and consequences of sin. But here's what the parable tells us and it's brutal, but it's true. And I'm someone that likes to tell the truth and I know lots of you, you keep coming back so you want to hear the truth. But this is what the parable says. Jesus says, the wicked servant is thrown in jail. It's a picture of hell. And then he ends by saying, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you don't forgive your brother from your heart. I mean, that's rough. It seems like Jesus is saying, if we can't forgive each other, 
then God's not going to forgive you. And that's not the only place that Jesus said this. Matthew 6, as he's teaching his disciples to pray, he ends by saying, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also, also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now what this can't mean is that somehow we have to earn our salvation by forgiving others. Because that goes against everything the Bible teaches about salvation being by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus. So it's not as if that I go, hey God, I, forgived, uh, I forgave 15 people, and he goes, hey, you did enough, you're in. That's not what Jesus is saying. But this is what it means. Someone who claims to know Jesus claims to understand the immensity of their sin and the wonder of the gospel and yet lives their lives unwilling to forgive others, it proves that you don't understand the gospel. So someone who says, yes, I get the gospel, I follow Jesus, I know the enormity of my sin and yet I live my life unwilling to forgive others, it proves that I actually don't understand the gospel. Because you can't say that. You can't say, I know the enormity of my sin against a holy God. I know my wickedness and my depravity and my rebellion, and yet I cannot forgive someone who sins against me. So here's how we do this then. Colossians 3 says this, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Ephesians 4 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Luke 6, Jesus says, be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So, so notice, each time we're commanded to forgive one another, it's not just, well, just do it. Each time we're commanded to forgive one another, it's, do you remember how Jesus forgave you? Someone has a $16,000 debt, do you remember your $8 billion debt? Now, this may be hard to hear, but may I suggest to you that whatever grievance is going on between you and someone else, however you are offended by what someone did or what someone said to you or what someone said about you, Whatever that is, may I suggest that that pales in comparison to your offense against a holy, righteous God. Jesus was tortured and nailed to a cross for you. I hope that we could learn how to forgive one another. Because here's the deal, a community of the forgiven has to be a forgiving community. So there's two types of people I want to address before we close, and then we're going to actually uh, do something in response. Some of us here are, are people who have committed an offense against someone. Right? You may have said something to somebody, or you've wronged someone, or you've done something that's hurtful. And maybe tonight in response, it's a, a time to humble yourself and seek forgiveness. And to make things right. Now you can't control if someone forgives you or not, but you can still go ask for it. 
So that may be some of you. You might go, yes, that's me. I can't believe that I did that. I offended so-and-so or I did this hurtful thing. And maybe tonight it's, okay, I need to go and make things right. I need to seek forgiveness. Secondly, some of you here have been wronged. And, and people have hurt you. Or they've said things about you or they've done things. And this could be fresh. This could be from 20 years ago. And I know that the idea of forgiving someone can seem very hard. Because you want justice. You want vengeance. I mean, when I was kind of pushed out, I mean, it was hard to forgive my boss. Because the, the fleshly part of me said, I want you to get pushed out of a church. See how it feels. Right? I want vengeance. And we do that. We want. We know how much it hurts. And that person needs to pay. And they need to know how much it hurt me. But can I just plead with you? If that's you and you've been offended and hurt, would you leave it to the wrath of God? Because this is what Paul says. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God. As it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Right? Can you just leave it to the wrath of God? Now, notice that Paul doesn't say never avenge yourselves unless it's really bad. He just says never avenge yourselves. And vengeance doesn't necessarily mean like, okay, after the service I'm going to go slash someone's tires. Vengeance can just be, I'm just going to hold a grudge for the rest of my life. Vengeance can just be, I'm going to harbor bitter thoughts about that person. But would you leave it to God? One day God is going to make everything right. And so could you, right, as, as an act of obedience to Jesus, just leave it to him? Go, you know what, I don't need vengeance. I don't need justice. I can just leave it to him. So when you came in, you received a, a strip of red paper and so we thought as a physical response, like a symbolic thing to do as we respond to the good news of the gospel, was the band is going to lead us and we just want to give you time to think and pray and, and when you're ready to come and lay your strip of paper somewhere along the stage in front of the cross. Um, the reason that we thought of red strips, if you remember in Isaiah, speaking of Jesus, it says, by his stripes... We are healed. And so maybe tonight, the symbolic thing that you would do as you lay a strip in front of the cross, maybe you're here going, I know the weight, the enormity of my debt of sin. And I want to trust in Jesus and have faith in him. And I want, I want this debt gone. I want to be free from this sin. Maybe that's the symbolic thing that you do or maybe you already are and it's just this thank you Jesus that my debt has been paid maybe for you tonight this symbolic thing of coming and laying your red paper in front of the cross is you saying I am actually going to forgive someone who has sinned against me they may never know it maybe it maybe they're dead already who knows but for you to come and, and symbolically lay this in front of the cross and say you know I'm just going to leave this with Jesus I'm going to forgive that person or maybe it's, you know, I, I'm going to lay it here, and then i got to go, and i got to seek forgiveness from someone. Like, whatever it is, right? We just thought this symbolic action of laying this down at the foot of the cross 
and saying, thank you, Jesus, that you have forgiven my enormous debt. Now help me to forgive those who have sinned against me. So Christy is going to come up and pl- play for a bit, and we just want to give you time to think and pray. And then when you're ready, and if you're wanting to, to come up and, and lay this strip of, of paper in front of the cross, just as this symbolic action. So Jesus, I thank you for this amazing parable that you taught your disciples about forgiveness. Um, Jesus, we as human beings, we owed a massive debt of sin. Like unfathomable, unfathomable, humongous debt. And yet, Jesus, you came to pay our debt. And you went to the cross to pay for our sin and wickedness and rebellion so that, God, you can look at us. And if we are in Jesus, if our faith is in him, you can look at us and have pity and compassion and say, your debt is paid. You can go free. So, Jesus, thank you. But now, God, as we live as brothers and sisters in Christ, as we are a community of the forgiven, God, we need your help to be a forgiving community. Because we will all be hurt by others, and we will all hurt others. And God, we need to show forgiveness to one another. And so now, God, I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you do your work in us? If there are people here that have been so hurt by someone... God, I pray that they would be able to come and just leave it at the cross and say, you know what, I can forgive them. I don't, I don't have to seek vengeance and justice and retribution. I can just leave it to you, God. Or maybe those, there, there are those of us who have hurt someone that we would come and, and say, I need to seek forgiveness. So do your work now as we just reflect and ponder and pray and thank God. So we just pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.